Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or your female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. And the next uh, scripture is Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence which it was not lawful for him or his companions to eat, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and yet are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He left that place and entered the synagogue. A man was there with a withered hand and asked him, and they asked him, Is it lawful to cure on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Suppose one of you has only one sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath. Will you not lay hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a human being than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored as sound as the other. Holy wisdom, holy word. So I have this thing where I fantasize a season or two ahead of wherever I am now in the calendar. And I think about how much less busy I'm going to be than I am now. (laughs) So around last April, when I was looking ahead to this summer, I imagined it as this vast, yawning expanse of time to get things done, to rest, relax, see people. Um, But it it hasn't been quite the lazy, yawning expanse of time that I imagined. The days have been busy and full, the weeks have flown by, and here we are, it's mid-August, and I still have not cleaned and organized my basement. (laughs) But not to worry, because I know this fall is going to be much less busy than the summer. (laughs) I'm starting to realize that I get trapped in this pattern of deferred leisure and deferred maintenance as I fill my calendar in the present and trust that I'll get caught up sometime down the road. And I'm aware that embedded in this pattern is a fantasy that time itself is infinite and limitless. And while that may be true for the universe, it's not true for me. A skewed relationship with time feels like a particularly modern problem. 
Many of us, I think, have the tendency to pack our days and weeks a little bit fuller than we should. And it takes a great deal of fortitude to navigate the opportunities and obligations that are before us in ways that honor our communities, our professional lives, our families, and our planet, and ourselves. And certainly external pressures contribute to the problem. Workplaces increasingly demand around-the-clock devotion. And young people face particular pressure to demonstrate breadth and depth in their activities. Such pressures are difficult to resist, and they carry real trade-offs. Now, I don't think there are simple answers to these dilemmas, but I do think that perhaps these issues aren't as new as we might think. It might just be the case that the ancients struggled with their relationship with time as well. After all, whenever we see a rule written in the Bible, we know that it was probably created in response to something. So in the Ten Commandments, we hear God say, don't worship other gods before me. That's because people were worshiping other gods. It says, do not kill, because people were killing. And so perhaps when it says to set aside each day for worship and rest and reflection and care for the earth, it's because people were living full days then as well. We, it would seem that even in their time, they needed an external structure imposed on the living of their days. Scripture tells us that then and now, setting a day apart for rest and reconnection with the Spirit is, has a sanctity that's as elevated as the sanctity of life itself. The act of setting apart one day each week imposes structure on our time that makes us mindful of its very real limits— in a way that letting our days run into each other does not. And I can't help but wonder if perhaps it was first conceived as a way of helping humans recognize our own boundaries, as well as the boundaries of the earth. Last time I was here, I preached about Genesis, how Adam and Eve's eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil reflects a desire to have no boundaries, to be completely limitless, and that their lack of boundaries is the root story of our own lack of boundaries with the earth and with one another, and how that continued sense of limitlessness and unlimited resources depletes the earth faster than it can replenish itself. In a similar vein, I think our fantasy of limitless time depletes us and our spirits faster than our bodies and our spirits can be replenished. In Pope Francis's recent encyclical, He notes this, We tend to demean contemplative rest as something that's unproductive, unnecessary. But this is to do away with the thing that is most important about work, its meaning. We are called to include in our work a dimension of receptivity and gratuity, which is quite different from mere activity, mere inactivity. Rather, it is another way of working, which forms part of our very essence. Rest opens our eyes to the larger picture and gives us renewed sensitivity to the rights of others. And so the day of rest, centered on the Eucharist, sheds light on the whole week and motivates us to greater concern for nature and the poor. Rest provides us with the opportunity to have greater concern for nature and the poor. So Sabbath isn't just about honoring God. It's honoring all of God's creation, God's creatures, including human creatures. 
Indeed, rest for the earth and creatures isn't something we focus on in our modern industrialized world. Much of the work of the last 300 years has revolved around isolating the community, the human community, from the natural rhythms of work and rest embedded in the cycles of creation. And we've been fairly successful at that, in large part due to our use of fossil fuels. Naomi Klein, in a book called This Changes Everything, says that the harnessing of fossil fuel power seemed, for a couple centuries at least, to have freed large parts of humanity from the need to be in constant dialogue with nature. Coal and oil, precisely because they were fossilized, seemed to be entirely possessable forms of energy. Once purchased, they produced power wherever and whenever their owners wished, the ultimate non-reciprocal relationship. But what we've learned from atmospheric science is that the give and take, call and response that is the essence of all relationships with nature was not eliminated with fossil fuels. It was merely delayed. And now the cumulative effect of those centuries of burned carbon is in the process of unleashing the most ferocious natural tempers of all. This passage points to the connection between our fantasies about the limitlessness of time and our fantasies about the limitlessness of power. Both can provide satisfaction in the short term, but can leave us restless and unfulfilled in the long term. Indeed, theologian Norman Wurzba says, the opposite of rest isn't work, it's restlessness. So is the corrective then a life within limits? And if so, what is that? Are we willing to live within the temporal boundaries of time and space? And how do we define those boundaries as Christians in the modern world? While Orthodox Jews observe the Sabbath from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, the Christian Sabbath tends to run the length of church worship and coffee hour. And many of us are okay with that, because we know Jesus often took time apart to pray and be in the presence of God, but he also affirmed healing and helping those in need on the Sabbath. But does an hour or two on Sunday morning really help us as humans to experience the heart of the Sabbath? Rabbi Abraham Heschel says, To observe the Sabbath is to celebrate the creation of the world and to create the seventh day all over again, the seventh day of creation, the majesty of holiness in time. To observe the Sabbath, then, is to build a temple, then, not a temple in space, but a temple in time, and to dwell in it in the true presence of God and one another. We need this time and space, not just to passively rest, but to actively listen for God's call on our lives. Too often, I think we, we stay busy because we aren't quite ready to listen to and hear God's call. Douglas Meeks calls Sabbath a dangerous time, because we might remember who we are and what God is calling us to do in the world. Sometimes we don't want to think about the sacrifices we make in the name of expediency. But the experience of Sabbath, really engaging it, is an experience of confession and repentance so that we might be born again a new people, hearing and responding to and ever trying to live God's call on our lives. And so I ask you, is being get busy getting in the way of remembering who you are and who God is calling you to be? 
and listening anew to that call? What can you do to create space, to create temples in time in the precious weeks and months and years of your life? It's all too easy to defer the spiritual maintenance. Indeed, it feels countercultural to engage it. But sure as those boxes in my basement are filled with temporal things that will only turn to dust, we too have a fixed amount of time on this earth to live as the people God has called us to be. Oliver Sacks, a scientist and author who is in the final stages of cancer, wrote in the New York Times this week on Sabbath. Here's a snippet of what he said. And now weak, short of breath, my once firm muscles melted away by the cancer, I find my thoughts drifting to the Sabbath, the day of rest, the seventh day of the week, and perhaps the seventh day of one's life as well, when one can feel that one's work is done and one may, in good conscience, rest. If you want this to be your experience of seventh days, if you want to trust that in your lifetime you have heard and responded to God's call, you must be willing to give up restlessness for rest and labor to build temples in time where you can risk understanding and becoming the person that you are called to be. Amen.